Good morning, everyone. Good to see you in church this morning. Trinity Northside, fall break edition. We're, we're glad to be with you. The faithful, uh, if the staff looks like we're dragging a little bit this morning, it's because we have been traveling, been traveling for the Lord. So uh, Nick's been suffering for the Lord in, in Vancouver. Uh, so we pray for him. We know that's... Uh, so tough. He's been writing songs uh, together with a group called Porter's Gate that we love. And um, we at this church value beauty. And so it's a gift to us that we have a worship pastor that spends a week writing songs and creating beauty for the church. And that's so valuable to us. And we also value goodness. I um, spent uh, two days in Austin, Texas for a conference there's a network within our diocese that's getting launched called the Diaspora Network. And um, that network is uh, kind of a working to resource and network immigrant churches and also churches that want to care and love and serve immigrant populations. And that definitely includes us. And so I was there um, receiving encouragement and um, it's really good. And I got back last night, and I'm really tired. <laughs> um, but I am super excited to talk to you about what we get to talk about today. If you were here for our sermon last week, you'll remember we started at the beginning, the beginning of John, which actually goes back to the beginning, right? It goes back to creation. And so we're just going to do that again. We're going to start with the beginning again, uh, but this time it's going to be in Genesis 1. And you guys are probably super familiar with uh, the story in Genesis 1, if you're not, what happens is God creates all the different things he creates on these different days, right? And so there's like the fish in the sea and there's the land he creates, right? And, and at the end of each of these days, God just kind of stands back and looks at what he did. You guys ever do this? I feel like this is a dad thing to do. You know, you make something, you build it and you kind of stand back and you look at it. And God says, he sees that it is tov. The Hebrew word is tov. We like languages here, so every now and then, just for fun, it's an easy one to say, right? Tov. And at the end of each and every day of, of creation, God stands back, he looks at what he made, and he says it's tov, but then it comes to the sixth day of creation. And God says this, in, in uh, Genesis 1, verse 26, he says, let us make humankind in our own image and let them have dominion over the animals. So all the other stuff we just made, we're gonna make this humankind in the pinnacle of the creation and it's gonna be kind of at the top of everything. And the text repeats it. It's not just to drive it home. So God created humankind in his image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And at the end of this day, when God steps back to look at what he created, he doesn't just say, it's tov. He says, it's meod tov. This time he steps back and says, it is very good. Friends, I want you to know this this morning, that you were made 
for goodness. When God created us, he stepped back and said, this is very good. And sometimes we have phrases like, oh, I'm just human, or she's only human, or whatever, right? And we kind of often do this, and humility is good, right? Like we all probably use a lot more of it, if we're honest, right? And so humility is good, but sometimes we'll use this word human as if it means something that's incredibly errant, or something that's maybe not that great. And I just want to remind you that you humans were made for goodness. I'm not saying we're always good. Obviously, we're capable of doing great evil to each other. I'm just saying that God's intention for humanity was always goodness. And when Jesus comes to train us in goodness and love, he is actually coming to restore something to us that we were always intended for. This morning, we're going to talk about goodness. We're in the middle of a sermon series where we are talking about our mission and our values. And our new mission is this, to become the body of Christ, a demonstration of God's beauty and goodness and truth for the sake of our city. And from that, we can break down our three values, beauty, goodness, and truth. And that's what we're going to be doing this week and in the next two weeks. And so today we get to talk about goodness. Now, we began the sermon with the beginning, and now I want to begin again with the new beginning, which is, of course, the gospel. I want you guys to know that we are a gospel-centered church. This story about what Jesus did for us shapes everything we do. It shapes how we see the world. It is the why behind everything that we do. And of course, there are so many great summaries of the gospel that we find in the Bible. But I want to share with you one from Titus 3 because it fits so great with the theme of not only goodness, but also incarnation. This is what Paul says in Titus 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any good works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We see the first thing in here that we were foolish, sinful, hateful, and clueless, right? It's not a great description, and that is just a great starting point. As Christians, we're not trying to tell the world we're the best people ever and we're on the right side of the world and everyone should just look and be like us. No, we're saying like we're the bad ones. Like we were actually what's like absolutely what's wrong in this world. So we start from this place of great humility, but then we can say, but there's, there was something that happened. Like we're not great, but there's something that's great that happened. And what happened? The goodness and the loving kindness of our Savior appeared, appeared in the flesh, goodness incarnate. And today is all about remembering that in Christ, God's goodness and his loving kindness was revealed, manifested, came close to us, moved into the neighborhood. And what did that appearing of flesh do? It saved us. 
He saved us, the text says, not by our good works. Remember, we were the worst kinds of people. But according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and the renewal of the spirit. And so Christ came and he paid the price for our foolish disobedience on the cross. He instituted the sacrament of baptism, the water of rebirth, as the sacramental means by which our sins could be washed away and we could be reborn into God's family. And then he renews us by the Spirit. You see, he became like us so that we could become like him. He renews us by the Spirit so that we could be transformed into his good and kind and loving image. Friends, this is the gospel. We were made for goodness. We lost our goodness in turning away from God, the source of our goodness. But God's goodness appeared and made a way to restore us to what he meant us to be. We're not a moralistic church. We're a gospelistic church. I'm not here to tell you, oh, just go out there and be good. Or can't you do better, right? Just try harder. Can't you do better? No, I'm here to announce like we're hopeless. But thanks be to God, we have a savior. And after all the not so good stuff we have done and, and quite possibly continue to do, God and his mercy still loves us. Still, still sees our value, still sees our potential. He remembers why he made us and he has come to rescue us. And not only that, to put his spirit in us, to renew us so that we become agents of his creative goodness in the world. The goodness of God appeared so that your goodness might be restored by God's grace. We are very soon moving into an extremely beautiful worship space. And that beautiful worship space will not have a wall that is a whiteboard. And that means we have to make use of it as long as we are here. So maybe one last time, but maybe not. We'll see. We're taking out the extra marker. I want to know when, when you guys, this is just a little, you know, congregation participation moment. When you hear the word goodness, what do you think of? What does this mean? Integrity. Charity. Did I hear that? Others before yourself. What other ideas do we have around goodness and what it might mean? Kindness. Kindness. Ooh, that's a good one. Is there any such thing as a mean Christian? Is that a category? Or an oxymoron. Not that I've never been mean before. I'm just asking. 
Goodness can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. Obviously, we're church folk, we're Bible people, and so we're super concerned about what the stories of the scripture have. And there's some words that we, one, we've talked about already, tov, good and goodness. So a lot of times when you see the word goodness in your Bible, at least in the Hebrew scriptures, it's translated in this word that just means good or goodness. And we see that, it just kind of means kind of how you would think about it. And then there's another word that you can pronounce chesed or chesed, depending on how you mispronounce it, which means, we don't really know how to do it, loving kindness gets translated this way, loving kindness, or steadfast love. And this is a word over and over again that's used to describe God and his posture towards us and his dealing towards his people. It's marked by this loving kindness or steadfast love or a constant kindness. It's this persistent kind of face towards us. And so when I think of goodness, a lot of times I would associate not only with Tov, but this word hesed is what we're talking about often. And there's other words too, right? There's this word shalom that you can think about. Um, And that word, of course, means peace, but it doesn't just mean like, oh, the kids aren't fighting. It means wholeness, like this kind of goodness of when people are like living together and, and there's no sense of lack, but everyone has what they need because everyone is living together and, and sharing things well. And then uh, there's uh, two different words that get translated as either justice or righteousness it's often the same word, but this is when power is rightly shared and resources are rightly distributed so that no one is lacking, right? And all this begins to paint a picture of what we are, we're talking about when we're talking about goodness. Of course, it's not just words and definitions, it's the stories that illustrate it the best, right? And so we'll th I just want to think real quick with you about some of those stories. One of the best stories today is found in Jeremiah 29. <laughs> we spent a lot of time in Jeremiah at the, at the beginning of the, of the summer. Just recap in case you guys are, don't remember the context. God's people broke the covenant. They turned away from him. They, be, they became more and more unjust and they, they turned to other gods. And so God is sending them in exile. The thing that happens though, it's just a really bad picture when it all goes down, right? The siege of, of Jerusalem by the Babylonian army would have been as bad as any siege that you can imagine, like Leningrad or Stalingrad or pictures that we're seeing now, um, you know, in the Ukraine would have actually rivaled them or been even worse. And so when you think about in the word enemy, I actually can't think of any stronger sense of enemy than a Babylonian to a Jewish person in the sixth century BC. It would have been the worst of the worst of the worst when someone has done that to your people and to your city, to your family. And the people are going off into exile. They are captives. They are being brought against their will to live in a land that they never wanted to live in in the first place. And what does God tell them? Does he tell them to 
resist their enemies? Does he tell them to make trouble, to sabotage the local electrical grid, poison the water supply, sabotage their fields at night, fight your way out of there and make your way back as soon as possible? No, he actually doesn't. He tells them to go there and to live the best lives they can, to give their kids and marry, to marry and receive marriage. Basically, get on with your lives and live the best life you can. And then he says this in verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for it is in the welfare that you will find your welfare. God says to his people, seek the good of the city, seek its welfare, seek the very welfare of your enemies, the worst enemies you can imagine. I want you to pray for their, the word here is actually shalom, their peace, their goodness. Pray for it. Friends, God has us here in this city for a reason. We're here to seek the goodness, the welfare, the shalom, the well-being of the city. Notice the mutuality here in the text, their welfare is going to be your welfare. And think about it. How few people in our world want to index their own welfare to the welfare of their enemies, right? How many of us are hoping that the enemies that, you know, their economy goes down and our economy goes up, right? And we think about it in this way. And God says, no, their welfare is your welfare. We are agents of God's goodness in the city. Not only for the benefit of others, we see their benefit as our benefit. It's a sense of mutuality and a sense of solidarity. Of course, I don't know that we have any major enemies in the city. I'm just saying, if you think about the enemies, the furthest one that you might want to wish they're good, it's those people get included in everyone else on down the line, right? When our neighbors and even our enemies are flourishing, it means flourishing for us. When God grants them peace, we will have peace. Their wholeness is our wholeness. Their justice, our justice. God's goodness is demonstrated in this way. In seeking the welfare of others, even our own worst enemies. Friends, this is the kind of goodness we're talking about. We pursue the welfare of the entire city. And if we think about anyone who has done a great job at this, there is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, right? If we think about the gospel uh, that Mother Jana read for us this morning from Luke's gospel, what's happening? Well, there's like 10 lepers, right, that want to get healed and they come up to Jesus. And so Jesus heals them, tells them to go show themselves to the temple. But only one comes back. One of the 10 gets highlighted. And then we find out that the one that came back and bowed before Jesus and gave him the worship that's due his name was none other than the Samaritan. And if you think about the political divides we have in our, our, our city and in our country, you think about the the ethnic divides that we have, the socioeconomic divides, 
none of these divides even begin to match up to the divide between Jew and Samaritan in the day uh, that our Lord was among us. And yet, where does the healing of our Lord, the wholeness, the shalom and the salvation of our Lord, yes, it's for his people, but it overflows into Israel's enemies. He's there for the welfare of the entire city. There's goodness enough There's healing enough, and it is spilling over. This is what God's goodness looks like. Think about the question that was asked to Jesus. What does it mean to be, to love your neighbor as yourself? What's the story Jesus tells him? The story of the good Samaritan. Now, if you look at the text, the word good is not actually in there. But it actually is a wonderful story that illustrates what goodness looks like. And what is it? Again, it's a Samaritan caring for a Jewish man that has been robbed and has been beaten. It's, it's loving for and caring for and ensuring the healing of even your worst enemies. This is goodness. This is neighborliness according to our Lord. And of course, he demonstrated that for us, right? When he died on the cross for us, his Gentile enemies, to include us into his family. We're rolling out a lot of new stuff here in our church, and it's an exciting time. And uh, it won't be long. I don't know if we'll get to do this before we actually move into our new space. But we're going to start running something. It's going to be a class called Parish Orientation. And parish orientation is just that. It's orientation into the life of our parish. It kind of functions like a new member class, but it's also like, a, hey, I've been checking this thing out for a bit. And let me just see what, what it's all about. And so in parish orientation, we get a chance to share a little bit about our beliefs and our mission and our vision and values. And then in the second part of it, we invite folks to jump on board and to like find a place to serve and to find a, find a small group to plug into, Right. And so it's a, it, this class will function as a tool to incorporate people into the life of our church. And actually what we're doing here in this moment and over the next two weeks is a little bit like parish orientation because here we're gonna be talking about the same values that we would share there. And so if you came in, you'll see you've got a little, a little sheet with inside of your bulletin uh, this morning that we slipped in there. And that just comes right from our, our parish orientation and when we talk about goodness, we kind of break it into three categories. And here we're on the level of values. It's on the level of culture. What's the kind of culture we want to have together as a church? Like, how do we want to be? Like, we all know, you know, every Christian's going to know there's certain things that you should do or shouldn't do. But this is on the level of just like, what kind of people do we want to be becoming? Now, we're going to name these. Of course, um, we're never going to be perfect at any of these or all of these for sure, right? But as Christians, we're always people that are becoming. Like we are becoming the body. We're being shaped into the image of Christ, right? And so these are all things that often we are in some sense excelling at and also in other senses wanting to lean into and grow into. And so I want to share these things that we are, are going to have as values as a church. The first, the first, and they kind of work as couplets. They kind of help to explain each other. So the first is generosity and sharing. 
Now, I think it's obvious to most of you guys that churches run off of generosity, right? And churches that don't do generosity well end up closing down. And churches that do generosity well often end up, you know, being healthy and doing well. But when we talk about generosity, we're not just talking about kind of like a, a cold philanthropy, you know? You can imagine um, being a, a royal person behind your royal gates somewhere, right? You're the queen of some European country or something, right? And you've got a lot of money and you give money to charity, right? But in a sense, that money just kind of flows out like, you know, through the gates, but those people don't actually come in the gate, right? And so it's like there, there's this thing that you do. It's, it's generous. It's a certain kind of generosity, but it's generosity without mutuality. And I'll just say that's not the kind of church we're trying to be and trying to become. So we're just at this conference uh, where there are uh, immigrant brothers and sisters um, that have gathered together and folks that are working among immigrant populations. And they were talking about the situation there in Austin. And um, one of the leaders in the group said, yeah, I go to these large, uh, you know, American non-immigrant churches to try to talk with them about net networking with the, these immigrant churches that are here. And they always want to come at it from this thing that they have uh, so much to give to them. Like, oh yeah, we want to give them some money and we want to teach them how we do evangelism, you know? And it's like these immigrants here are like awesome at evangelism. It's like they're the ones that need to be helping you, right? And so sometimes we can think about resources flowing from, you know, churches that have power or that have money towards ones that don't. But what we're trying to say is what we need is a spirit of not just generosity, but a spirit of sharing. And so we believe that when you, that God has gifted all people with all kinds of gifts. And so no matter where you are, you've got something to bring, right? And so it's a different kind of approach uh, to generosity where we recognize it doesn't matter where you're coming from, everyone has something uh, to give and everyone needs to be a receiver as well, right? Generosity and sharing. And then there's service and sacrifice. By the way, everything we do is gospel-centered. It's Christ-centered. And so if you read these descriptions, it's like, Christ was like this. Therefore, we seek to become like him, right? We're trying to be transformed into his image. And of, of course, Christ lived among us as one who serves and he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. His service was sacrificial. And I just want to let you know that it's not all about you. And I know some, some churches like, oh, it's all about you. And we're going to give you five ways to have a better marriage and all this stuff. And it's you, 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 you. And for us, it's first and foremost about Christ. It's about him. And then we had this little saying when I was a kid, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. And there's probably some little song that goes along with it that my mom could sing for you. Jesus, others, and then yourself. We're not here to preach some kind of individualistic gospel where let me just show you how you, how, you know, your get out of free card for how do you get out of hell and, you know, live happy for eternity, right? Not that there isn't all kinds of joy here. Not that there isn't all kinds of happiness in living this way. But what we're saying is the path to joy is actually Jesus, others, and yourself. We have to, in order to follow Jesus, become like him, which means we have to become servants. Also in Austin, I got a chance to catch up with 
a pastor named Michael Waldrop. He's not an Anglican pastor, but Michael, when he was a seminarian in Los Angeles, he showed up at our church on day one. He had just moved to, to, you know, to LA to, to go to seminary and just found our church as we were planting. And he is just the best example of a humble servant leader that I could ever name. And he was the first one there pulling all the stuff out of the closet, setting up. And it was just always me and him last locking up. And he just had such a servant's heart. I don't think he ever would have thought anything of it. Like, it seems like he didn't even notice that he was there serving as one sacrificially among us. He was one that was teaching us the way of Christ through humble service. Part of the reason I have to say this kind of uh, sacrifice is that some of us serve as a means of our own, um, for our own good and happiness. <laughs> so you can think about your life seems less fulfilling. So I need to do something like I need to go serve in a soup kitchen and go serve some folks for a while. Well, great. But the problem is after you've done that for a while, you might end up feeling better about yourself. And then once you feel better about yourself, you might not need to go to the soup kitchen anymore, right? So if you're serving just for your own kind of to make yourself feel good, you haven't really understood what the service is about. So we just have to be reminded that the way of Christ is actually a costly and a sacrificial way. It's not a cheap and a painless kind of thing. And so we're not trying to make church cheap and painless. And so I just want you to know if you're signed up for this and, and I'm so happy you're here and I hope you consider being a part of this and we'd love for you to be in this church and, and kind of stick it out with us. But I'm just trying to spell out what, what we're going for. It's, it's a culture of joy for sure. But what we're naming as part of that joy is that it, it just inevitably following Christ involves service and sacrifice. And so we encourage everybody in our church to find a place to serve within the church and also without the walls of this church. And then the third little couplet here is rhythm and rest. The life of Christ was marked by unhurried work and deep Sabbath rest. And because Christ was not in a hurry, we actually cannot follow him if we're in a hurry. And so we seek to cultivate the kind of trust in God's goodness that Sabbath rest requires. It takes a lot, of, a lot of trust in God for some of us to get off the hamster wheel, right? It takes a lot of trust to think, okay, if I don't do work for 24 hours, I know God's still going to sustain the world. And he's still going to provide me for the things I need. And it's that kind of Sabbath rest and attitude that's going to flow into the rest of my work week. And that even changes the way that I do my work on the other days. A godly approach to work and rest actually fosters justice and peace and wholeness in the world. And so we try our best not only to preach this, but to model this in the way that we do things around the church. As pastors, we're not trying to be here as, uh, as pharaohs that are trying to get more and more bricks out of church volunteers, right? Like we want you to serve, but we want you to serve in a way that's holistic and that is, that is life-giving. And that even serving here, 
you do so with a rhythm uh, that is, that is life-giving, that involves both rest and service here within the church. I want to close just with a kind of final thought. I was in a small group with some uh, Nigerian friends serving in Austin and serving in San Jose. And they were kind of going around the circle sharing just things they have done with outreach and kind of their ministry. And they, were, they live here in the States, but they were talking about things that they do when they travel back to Nigeria. And they were saying that if they're doing some kind of evangelistic outreach, they actually never do that evangelistic outreach without first feeding people because folks are hungry and giving medical attention. So there's always kind of medicine and food alongside with sharing the good news about Jesus. And in so many words, they were basically saying, people need to know the gospel is good before they can know that it is true. No truth without goodness. People need to know that it's good. And as we think about the way we have talked about goodness in this sermon and what we've written up here on the board, we can also think about what folks outside of the church think about the church. What would it be like if we started to name some of the things that they say about us? Now, some of them would have some good things to say, but some of them might have some judgmental things to say, right? Some of them think that you are hateful, that you're divisive, you're greedy, all you want is money, you're homophobic. There's all kinds of things that they could say. And I think some of it would be unfair judgment from an outside group, maybe folks that don't really know you. And we could also say that Christians actually have always been uh, misunderstood and and unfairly judged in every season. So even the best of the church, uh, you go back and look at the early church doing some amazing things, uh, the society thinks they're really bad. But I would guess that some of this could be actually very true about uh, some of us and some of our churches. And so all I would say is whatever we could write up here and then whatever we could look over here at the goodness, like how we're supposed to be, right? People that actually love our enemies, people that are agents of God's justice in the world, his shalom for the benefit of others, integrity, right? Charity. Literally, we're generous people. We're we're not here for their money. We're here to like share what we have. And we're here to welcome you with what you have, right? We think you've got something to offer us no matter where you are. And we could just think about the difference between what we're called to be and often our perception that sometimes uh, might be off, but sometimes might be right on. And all I will say for us is that my prayer for us as a church is that God's goodness would shine through. Not that we're the best people in the world, but that we would be continually transformed by the power of the spirit into the image of Christ that he would use us as agents of his goodness so that if some of our friends who maybe for good reason have never come close, whatever reason end up coming close, 
that as they watch you, as they see your life, as they see our life together, and they see the way that we love and we share and we sacrificially serve one another in a way that we have rhythms of rest and we're not trying to beat each other into the ground, but we're encouraging each other to live in wholeness, that somehow through that, the goodness of our Lord and Savior would shine through. And may they be open to the truth of the beauty of the gospel. Amen. I want to invite you now into a moment of silent reflection as we uh, ask the Holy Spirit what he might want to say to us in this time.